Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now I'm joined today by Guy Shanchev, co-founder of the reusable nappy company Bambino Mio. With 90 billion disposable nappies thrown away worldwide each year, this is an urgent environmental challenge that Guy and his wife and co-founder Joe have used their entrepreneurial talents and flair to address. With a mission to create diapers that are better for your pocket and our planet, the business has become the world's most widely used reusable nappy brand distributed to more than 50 countries. It's a story about doing well by doing good. And to tell us more, Guy, welcome to Changemakers. Hi, Michael. Great to have you on the show. Now, Bambino Mio means quite literally my baby in Italian. Tell us about your baby, the business. Was that a good enough intro in terms of pitching pitching the story? It sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that, that was great. So I can't believe that that I've sort of been doing the reusable nappy thing for sort of nearly 30 years now. Joe and I found out about it 30 years ago and, and certainly in the 90s, trying to start a business selling reusable nappies. Everybody thought we were completely mad. Yeah, um, I, re- I read a quote here that you said, I might as well have stepped off a spaceship. People thought I was mad. I suppose the thing is, you know, that they often say about entrepreneurs travel the road that's less traveled. I mean, take us back to 1992, which is, I think, the year that you established the business. What got you thinking, I could build a winner here? Well, it's interesting because for me, it was all about the business idea. I was I was one of those annoying children who sort of ran little businesses and sold fruit and veg from the front of the, the garden to, pe- to passers-by and ran jumble sales and, and all those sort of things. So there was certainly something entrepreneurial within me. University, I always, always have and still do have a passion for drama and so took a couple of productions to the Edinburgh Festival, and but from a business point of view, they, they wouldn't let me anywhere near the stage. So but, a good so sense of that, the dramatic. Yes. <laughs> so I, so I, I'd always had that sort of entrepreneurial drive and always wanted to run my own business and and it was about getting the idea and joe and i were were, were traveling i'd been i'd been laughingly tra- training as an accountant and i say that because i think i was probably the worst accountancy trainee kpmg ever had they didn't they, let, they didn't let me even sit an exam joe was made redundant from marks and spencers and we decided to travel and this was going to be my opportunity to uh, to find mm. out what, what the big business idea and i'd always wanted a business that i could believe in i didn't want to just be, be selling widgets and, and bizarrely and i've told this story many times we were we were sitting at the Taj Mahal in India we'd gone up there because it was a full moon loads of tourists there and we just got talking to this guy from New York who started talking to us about cloth diaper services companies that delivered clean nappies each week collected dirties and they'd been quite big in the states in the 80s it did spur an idea and 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 a few weeks later we're in Nepal and some Canadians talked to us about a similar sort of thing and when we got to Australia middle of uh, uh, the 1991 recession I worked cutting grass for Sydney Council and used to see these nappy laundry vans shooting around the town. And, and it was sort of so, almost... So they were, already, they were already in it. There were countries that had already seen that the reusable nappy idea was, was working. You could, you could take it home. Yes, I mean, I would, I would almost argue it was the end of the era. It was the end of the sort of reusable nappies time. Disposables were getting stronger and stronger. And we were getting to the point because the diaper laundry services that were talked about in the States, they were strong in the 80s, but had, had disappeared. And actually, we got to the point in the 90s, we probably started getting into reusable nappies. We came back to the UK in 92, set up a nappy laundry service, which we ran for five years before that sort of turned into Bambino Mio. 
But actually, we were setting it up probably at a time when disposables were their strongest. Everybody said, well, this is the future now. Mm. Everybody's going to use disposable nappies. And actually, you're getting into something that is that is a dying, dying product. What reusable nappies were at that time was a was a pile of old fashioned terries collecting dust in a small baby. shop. Right. So they were on their way out. Now, we'll get on to Bambino Mio momentarily. But you, you sort of dismiss yourself as as an accountant. And it's interesting that. Another sort of, I suppose, fellow traveller, Paul Lindley in Ella's Kitchen, he also was an accountant. And I'm wondering, you know, this is another purpose leader, somebody who actually built a for-profit business, but driven by purpose. I'm wondering, does that financial background, do you think, did it prepare you? Or or am am I stretching the connection too much in terms of actually building a business that could actually grow financially? as well as one that could grow with soul. And I think possibly, as I say, I wasn't the greatest accountant, but I had an awareness. I had a, it gave me an awareness. And I think, I think that's the point about, if you like, purpose-driven businesses. And we can get on when we realise that's what we were actually doing, because that certainly wasn't where we were at the beginning. That actually the, the, the profit is, is, is so hugely important because if you're not making a profit, if you're not financially successful, you can't deliver your purpose. And almost mm. the more successful you are financially, the more you can deliver that purpose. And I think the balance is the purpose is, 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 is why what we're doing what we're doing. But actually, financial success and profit is is vital to be able to deliver that. Mm. Let, let's take you to 97. It's the year of things can only get better. And of course, for you, that, that of course, is what happens with the creation of, of Bambino Mio in terms of the next chapter of that, in terms of working with a former customer who you, uh, you bought the business from. Let's take us there in terms of where you thought you were and how far you thought you could go. We definitely felt as far as the nappy laundry service was concerned, we'd taken it as far as we could. It was never going to be a scalable business. And we were actually subsidising it by picking up and washing rugby kit. We even we washed the kit for Northampton Town Football Club as part of the nappy, uh, the nappy laundry service days. But it, what it did, Michael, is it gave us fantastic experience of the products mm. and understanding with a nappy laundry service, it, it's a service and you are turning up each week. And if somebody doesn't get on with it, they'll give you all the stuff back and that's your income stream gone. So you spend a lot of time talking to customers and understanding understanding what worked, what didn't work, what was driving them. But there was a realisation that that actually to reach more people, there, there was a financial element to using reusable nappies. There still is. And it, it's probably as strong as the environment argument. But using a nappy laundry service costs as much as using disposables. Whereas actually, if you're washing from home and and, and time had moved on and, and, and washing machines and, and, and ways of drying had developed. So certainly selling the products in those days, my mail order, it was pre-internet days. So it was phoning up for a brochure. Somewhere, so we'd send out a brochure and a cheque would arrive and you'd send the products, which certainly was a lot easier than going around collecting dirty nappies mm. in, a, in a van all day. But, but if we fast forward to today, of course, your business feels phenomenally on trend. It feels very much about the respect for the planet and its resources. But going back in terms of growing this, this, this business in a time where a disposable society was 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 very much what it was all about. I mean, it feels that before we get on to the purpose, let, let's talk about the, the profit, the progress, if you will, because, you know, this is a real entrepreneurial story. I mean, you had real highs and lows, distributors dropping you sort of, you know, tell us a little bit about the actual experience as an entrepreneur before we get on to the experience of the campaigner. 
I mean, I always describe it as that classic, that classic journey in three stages, which is you spend a lot of time in the early stages just wanting people to buy your products. You don't care who does. You don't, you're not particularly strategic about it. And especially with reusable nappies, we had a, we had a huge belief in it. But, but as you as you sort of indicated, taking it from where it was, this small business operating in our terraced house in the center of Northampton with the stock in the cellar and, and, and receiving stuff through the post, to where we could really make an impact and actually a business of some size seemed absolutely miles, mm. miles off. And, 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 and actually, we believed we could get there. But if you stood back, logic would suggest it was going to be incredibly difficult. Did it make it different doing this as a husband and wife double act? Because I'm thinking about people like Clive Humby and, and Edwina Dun, Dun Humby. You know, they, they, they created that, that, that business on exactly as you did on the kitchen room table and actually will often ascribe that their partnership as people as being the kind of like the driving engine. I mean, was that, is that how it worked for you or are there different roles that, that you, you, you had as part we did of it? Do. it? It worked incredibly well. And I think when you work alongside a partner such as that, you have ultimate trust in them and therefore mm. um, you trust their views and you, you know that you are, there's no hidden agenda. There's, you are both working towards the same the same goal. I mean, ironically for Joe, it was you can probably tell from from the sort of first part of this interview, it was me that always wanted to run my own business, and and Joe was incredibly supportive of that. And twenty years later, turned around and, and had been a big part of that journey. But there's, there's no doubt that we both fulfilled very different roles. Yes, you're supporting each other, and and actually, there's two of you doing the jobs at, at the outset. But Joe, who is incredibly creative, developed all the products and still the products today that 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 we're that we're winning we're winning awards from came from from the the huge amount of time she spent. I mean, we we started the business. We didn't have children. Bizarrely, ninety five, our our first daughter was born. So there was that experience from from having kids. But but Joe spent a lot of time talking to other parents and really understanding it. And so working side by side because she was able to take on the creative bit and me, if you like, the the, biz, the other parts of the business side mm. and making that work, we complemented each other very well. But to have a partner that you can completely trust in, that, that was really important. And, and, and in terms of the, the cultural attitudes that you had to overcome, I mean, do you see this in, in I'm sort of wondering, are, were there a series of chapters, you know, if you go back to, you know, the early and mid nineties compared to here we are in the, in the early twenties where we look at sustainability, we look at what we can reuse. I mean, these things are absolutely natural. It doesn't strike me that that, that was the zeitgeist, you know, going back, you know, quarter of a century or so ago. Were there chapters of change in the journey for you in terms of consumer attitudes? Yeah, huge changes, because I think in the early days it was, I always describe it as, it was really the hardened environmentalists that, that, were, that were, in the majority, were, were, were buying into these products and understanding these products. And I think Operating in the baby market is really interesting because there is an advantage. It's con- continually reinventing itself. There are obviously new people every day having babies. But it's one of the only markets where people come to it knowing absolutely nothing, but are desperate to, to absorb the information that is being given to them. So actually changing attitudes just does become slightly easier in terms of stuff placed in the right place. But of course, parents take a lot of lead from what other parents are doing. So actually the big change now when you talk to people is... Oh, yes, I know at least four or five people in my antenatal class who are using reusable nappies. We estimate mm-hmm. it's at about 19 or 20 percent, which interestingly, when I visited COP and was at a seminar in terms of that behavioral change, 19 or 20 percent was cited as a real pivotal point. So 
that is also really exciting. But yeah, in the early days, you saw these people using our products as complete pioneers, whereas now it's it's moving more into that parental area where I do what everybody else does because I don't really understand this whole area. Well, it's, 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 it's funny, is it? Because it's, it's almost like the Moore's Law technology idea. You know, you get the early adopters and then and then you sort of like, you finish up with the late majority. I mean, you know, you've, you've talked in the past, you've said that my passion comes from my belief in the product. When did you get the first sense that you were franchising that passion in terms of we're really on to something here, in terms of the fact that the market was responding to the vision? I think we've always seen we've always seen growth in some ways. And those early days were about people buying into our product. I think it's when we got to that next stage that everybody goes into, which you accept that you have, there is obviously a market for your product, but it, and I think it's what you're referring to, but is it scalable? Can you mm. take what you've got and do this on a larger scale? Now, from about 2002 to about 2010, we used a model internationally of distributors. We'd made that decision that, that we always wanted to focus on nappies. We wanted to see as the market leader. And you, because the baby market is a finite market, there are lots of examples where brands of particular products, whether it be prams, pushchairs, bottles, have tried to expand the, the opportunity of what they can sell by just expanding the project range massively and sort of feeling that their brand is strong enough to do that. We were completely the reverse. Ours was all about making sure that the message is stronger. It's in, in our business, it is all about education for, for parents. It's all about helping them understand the product, how it works, why they should use it. it it's a big ed- education exercise and actually having a strong brand and that brand representing the products that you are selling is really important. So we were mm. completely focused. So, so actually what we wanted to do is take what we did internationally. But I'm wondering, oh, so, okay, well, let's talk about the international side in, in a second. But I'm wondering whether there was a kind of light bulb moment for you in terms of the message about disposables. And I, and I say this because a lot of purpose-led businesses form themselves around, I suppose, the idea that, that doing the right thing is always the right thing to do. And that is the opening hypothesis. And then the question is, can you build a market from that? And as you say, you have strong early adopters, but then can you actually grow that? Which is, I suppose, the question I would ask you is that can the passion project also become an ambition project in terms of the sort of size of company that you can go on to build and the sort of market that you can create as a result? Definitely. And I think I think what you have to remember for, for me and for Bambino Mio, actually, it came from a business idea. It was a business idea first and foremost. It was a business idea that we wanted to have a passion about. And, and so that that sort of that came about because we chose a business that where there was a passion around it. But ultimately we were looking for a business idea. And maybe it gets back to your point of an accountancy, accountancy background mm. that that actually we wanted to drive something that was successful. And I think to your point about when you realised it was, it has been a journey and there, there have been times where um, there have been huge bumps in the road. And I think once we started seeing our, our products in supermarkets and and and, on, and 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 that was starting to happen. How did, how did that feel the first time you saw it? How did it feel personally? Oh, it was incredible. And, and it's not just about supermarkets. <laughs> I mean, I still get a buzz when I meet, and I meet people in the, in the weirdest places globally who say, oh yeah, we use Bambino Mio on our, on our children. And I just, I still sort of have a real buzz from that to sit mm. in meetings and, and people who've used Bambino Mio or friends who've used Bambino Mio. Well, I, I want to stick just with this ambition point for a minute, because you talked about going global. 
people, but you've also caught attention elsewhere. You've just taken on significant funding from from BGF, that the Business Growth Fund, to actually, I suppose, supercharge that that ambition, take take you to the next level. You've spoken on your lockdown list that your inspiration is Paul Polman, the former the former chief executive of, of of Unilever, who obviously took Unilever a long way. How far can a business like Bambino Mia go? Do you think, Guy? There is a huge opportunity for likes of Bambino Mio and we really are just scratching the surface. I mean ultimately I we know that in the discussions about about the environment and the changing consumer habits, I believe nappies are are sort of almost a microcosm of 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 so many things that we that we that we talk about. I mean one percent you talk about the numbers of nappies at nine billion a year in, in the world, but one percent of all plastic production in the world goes into making single use nappies. If you compare single-use nappies to reusables, reusables use 98% fewer raw materials and generate 99% less waste. So from, a, from an issues point of view, you, we're talking about plastic, single-use plastic, we're addressing that, the, the use of raw materials, less waste. But also, I think the, 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 the massive issue is, is greenwashing. And, mm. and, and I think I, I've heard this argument more and more. So these and, are the ma- greenwashing, what, from the major, from the major producers? of From of, the major producers. And I think um, right. you're hearing this argument more and more that actually we've moved away from a time of, of climate change deniers, that that sort of a few years ago, that, that, that was what we were hearing. But we're moving into an area where there is a lot of mm. a lot of greenwashing. And and actually, you can see that in our industry. And of course, a business like Bambino Mio is global by nature, guys. And it? it's dealing with major trends all over the planet. Yes. And I think in terms of our work, which you'd probably divide, define more within our purpose area and, and the campaigning that we do. I think one thing that has really shocked me over the last few years is the impact of single-use plastics and and companies that put single-use products into countries that don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. So Vanuatu, off the coast of Australia, was the first country to announce a ban on disposable nappies. They backtracked slightly because of because of response, because and it's back to that education point. Uh, there was some education needed. We worked with them to help fund some some research and some reports, consumer interaction. But Vanuatu has one commercial refuse dump in on the main island. There's no other infrastructure. Mm. So disposables haven't been around for very long in, in Vanuatu, but parents who use them because actually it's it's sold as it is very much in the global south in terms of an aspirational product that shows wealth. They they end up being buried on the beach and washed out to sea. I mean, you've just attended COP26. D- did you get a sense that looking at this challenge from a one planet view that actually it's, a, it's unacceptable to have a global north and a global south when you're dealing with a global planet. Did you get a sense that nations were getting that? I think some nations get it. I think some people get it. I think the one thing I got when I visited COP is the speed of change. I, I, I remember one conversation I had with somebody who, who had been who's closely involved in, in climate change and net zero and advice to governments. And I remember him saying to me he'd been to lots of COPs. And actually, if they talked about net zero, even two or three cops back, it was completely alien. So I think the thing that gave me most encouragement is the speed of change, because we all know, which is where nappies fit into this drive for measuring success through GDP, for greater convenience, for driving consumption. That is the big thing that needs to be tackled, of which nappies fits in, I think, is a, is a product that can be held up as a real example, because the only defence that disposable companies tend to come up with now when they go to press is this is convenient. 
but actually isn't ultimately isn't convenience and continued greater convenience. The fact that you can order a takeaway by just pressing a button on your phone now and it turns up at your door. One of the reasons why we face the challenges. So I was encouraged by talking to, to, to sort of old timer cop people in who have seen that speed of change, because actually where we're sitting now, that that drive to reduce consumerism still seems quite a long way off. But I think we will get there. In the area of, of nappies, I mean, the, the figures are vast in terms of the waste, the contribution to landfill, the amount of, 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 of nappies that are thrown away around the world. I mean, bring that to life for listeners, Guy, in terms of if, if, you know, if, you're, a, if you're a parent listening to this podcast this morning and you're thinking about, I suppose, the first steps that, that you might take for a newborn child that you want to have living in a sustainable world, what are the kind of issues to do with nappies that they should be thinking about? Well, I think, I mean, in terms of those 9 million a day we're throwing away in the UK every single day. So in terms of, in terms of just pure waste, it's, it's, it's a huge amount. And all of those will either, the majority of those will end up in landfill or um, in incineration. And to my point about greenwashing, I think this is the thing that, that, that I'm strongest on at the moment and in some of the political work that, that, that we do is that disposable companies are very cynically creating so-called biodegradable, compostable, maybe even to the point that it, it, they put nice green writing and, and parents... And, and, and are you saying they're not compostable? Are you saying... Yeah, and, 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 that, and that's the point. There was a very good article by Witch a few months ago who looked at this, who said, actually, these so-called environmentally friendly disposables are not only no better in many cases because of they, what they break down to, they, mm-hmm. they, they could actually be worse. But in reality, are they really going to be biodegradable? And most parents are just going to put them in plastic bags and put them in, um, and put them in landfill. And I think the worst thing about this is that parents are a bit... More and more parents are aware of the issues, and I think the issues are out there. They understand them, but in some some ways, disposable companies are saying, actually, you can ease your conscience by paying us two or three times what you would pay for disposables because we've got nice green writing on the packaging. Right, but but I suppose this. I mean, let's just let's just talk about costs for for a second. I mean, you know, the the initial outlay for a reusable nappy is is about fifteen pounds each disposables about five pence a, a lot of people will will say look I, I really want to make a difference but but this is this is a you know a wealthy person's hobby isn't it this is in terms of making a difference it costs a lot and, and i think that's a very fair point and we do consumer insights work that shows that cost is probably along with four or five other things are the barriers that we are working really hard to get to to ensure that this there is it is accessible for all parents and this is my point about education I think there's, there's, there are lots of people who do this for, for, for financial reasons. And there is a high upfront cost. There's a, there's a long-term saving. And I think, th- remember, this is proper circular economy. So actually, a lot of our nappies are passed on, used secondhand, bought on eBay. Th- there is a way of accessing this product quite cheaply. But one thing that we, as we look to address how, do, and you, you mentioned earlier about the sort of scaling and the opportunity, we know to get to that opportunity, getting a solution to this low, to, to the upfront cost is really important. And we look at, we are in the process of looking at things like microfinancing, a process where parents can be spending the same amount each week on their nappies as they would to disposables. Mm-hmm. But actually at the after six months, they've paid for them and they're actually free. And it's one way that we engage with government. Government always suffers from, in our conversations anyway, with, with actually taxing something or banning something is the way you deal with these issues. And we've seen it very successfully with shopping bags and coffee cups and stirrers. Nappies is definitely not an area where you want to be doing that. It's all about education. So we, 
we, we've got long going conversation with them. But, because- but could you incentivize? I mean, could could government look at? Th- I mean, because you know, it, it strikes me. You know, we're 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 talking at a time where COP twenty six has been. You know, the UK aspires to be a global leader in a sustainable economy. It's looking at incentives. Is this is this an area where it could make a difference? Do you think? It could make a huge difference and it can make and it, and it can really lead the world in this area. You've got the local authorities actually are tuned into this. I mean, local local councils spend one hundred and forty million pounds a year just on getting rid of nappies. And that's not taking into account going to, back to my point on this. Misleading. That's an extraordinary figure. It is. It, but the other thing Michael, that, that actually affects local authorities even more is because of this misleading so-called environmentally dis- friendly disposables. You get lots of parents putting those in their recycling because they've read somewhere that actually this is biodegradable. There are local councils where 30% of their recycling is contaminated through disposable mm. nappies. So there is a financial angle to this. Like some local authorities are already subsidising, but on a very low level and not particularly sophisticated. One of our proposals to government, which government have and, 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 are, and are considering, is a nationwide incentive scheme because actually... There's a huge benefit to to government, both on reducing single use plastics, the cost to the cost to local authorities. But I mean, one of the points we haven't talked about is and, and we have we have the research to back this up, that that babies potty train sometimes up to 18 months sooner in reusable nappies because they can they can feel the wetness. Well, because disposable nappies, again, with my with my cynical head on. Are we actually can. able to keep babies in nappies longer. We, we get you don't like them, guy. <laughs> <laughs> get that impression. The strong gels that are in disposable nappies keep babies in nappies longer. That's a billion nappies extra that are going to landfill because babies are potty training later. Right. And all the issues around schools but, and uh, schools having uh, who are now more and more children are turning up who aren't particular who aren't out of nappies. So I suppose you know one of the things we're talking about is the fact that sustainability is changing attitudes. You know, climate change is changing attitudes. How has COVID changed attitudes and mindsets in terms of, you know, living through a pandemic? And I suppose running an international business and the observations you would make about parenting in terms of the vantage point that you have as a business. I mean, as a business, we have we've actually coped with with COVID incredibly well. I mean, we, I feel very fortunate that we were and we haven't talked about it, but but certainly one of the reasons for success of Bambino Neo is the is the passion that everybody who works there has for what we do. So even though we hadn't really got a culture for, for home working, everybody made it work because everybody wanted to make it work because they as they do with everything because mm. of because they're passionate about about what we do. There was certainly an early benefit, short-term benefit to us because people were at home, parents were at home and thinking, well, I'm at home, I might as well, I've been thinking about using reusable nappies, now might be the time to do it. And also it means I don't have to go to the supermarket every week to go and buy disposables, not even knowing whether they're going to be on the shelves. So, we so now's the time to be benefit. the change. I mean, you know, you mentioned the activism there. I mean, it, it does feel sometimes when you read what you say and what your team says, you know, that actually that, that this feels as much like an NGO, like a like a like an activist hub of views and opinions, as it does a for profit business. Is is that a fair is that a fair summary, guy? I think I, I feel really privileged that that we've actually been able to get that balance from a business point of view. We want to be successful, and for 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 some people, that's that is literally about the more successful we are, the the more we can drive our purpose. Mm. And clearly, having an investor on board, I feel lucky that we're with BGF. They understand what we're doing. They're very supportive and, and understand our understand our purpose as an investor. They, I really feel there's credibility to what they're saying. 
thing around. But obviously they have an eye on the bottom line and that, that's suppose, as important. But I suppose on a journey where they understand, you know, that you have values. I mean, you've talked about three values in life of honesty, optimism and, and passion in the past. In terms of how you turn those values into everyday actions, when you look at the business now in terms of this journey that you've taken from the 90s to the 2020s, do you recognise those values now driving, I guess, consequence in, in what you're doing? Definitely. And I think I think one thing one thing we talk about and do a lot of work on is is the fact that if you've got a growing business, things have to change on the day to day as you get to new levels and it, you need to drive it on. We've brought in an investor that's new for us. There's lots of things that you do need to change. But at the same time, we those things that drove us and I think those the passion, the honesty, the things that have driven this business so far are really important to continue that drive if we are to really fulfill our ambition. I mean, we start, when we started the business all those years ago, we set out a mission which was to make reusables commercially acceptable worldwide. It was about making it a normal product. Mm. We've refined that slightly mm. in, terms of, in terms of getting it into the hands of as many parents as possible. But this journey has always been about what is the best way to do that and, and, and actually making a profit and being a successful company is all part of that formula for getting those nappies to as many people as possible. Mm. I mean, it's really interesting because I, I sort of think about, you know, brands where purpose is driving progress, you know, this idea that we can create a major change and business is the tool is a really important part of understanding, I guess, what drives entrepreneurs that are building growth businesses. And I suppose it brings me to my last question to you, Guy, which is that you've given us a, a great quote for life from the uh, poet and play, playwright Robert Browning, which A, I'd like you to share with us, but I suppose explain it to us within the concept of how far you can drive a business like Bambino Mio and the difference you can make as a result. So the quote I use, which is always, is always sort of stuck in my head from, from, a, from a young age, was, was a man's reach should exceed his grasp. And I think certainly within the business, within Bambino Mio, within reusable nappies, what we were trying to achieve certainly seemed completely out of reach in the 1990s. And I think that continues to drive me and ultimately strategy for Bambino Mio, that we're always reaching higher. And, and even in, in the early days, what we're trying to do in terms of, in terms of the reach of the business, both, both geographically and for, for the number of parents, what we're trying to do politically, um, and the work we do with, with, with NGOs and other organisations throughout the world, we're always reaching for what initially seems like an impossible task within the area that we work but it continues to drive us and is, is, is a really really important, important part of what we do. Guy Shanship, thank you very much for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear why not give us a rating. 